Welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And you'll see on the bottom, virtually, we've got Theodore. Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. Oh, yeah. And we've got a special guest on. He's a little grainy, but unfortunately, it's just Oklahoma internet. Uh, you want to introduce yourself, Paul? Hello. I am uh, Paul Miles. This is my first time on the Found Cause. Uh, I've just heard about it, and uh, excited to be here. Yeah, and for some background, uh, this is one of these discussions. We had a couple discussions in the past. Theodore, our ever super sleuth, has gotten into some online discussion with uh, what we would call free gracers. Um, we've done videos on similar theologies in the past, like Stephen Anderson's, a couple reactions to him. Um, but everybody's unique, and especially in American theology, just there's there's a lot of unique theologies out there. So we're not going to pin Paul with exactly what we've reacted to in the past. Um, but somebody, not Paul, reacted to Theodore's pastor's sermons and then Theodore got arguing with them and then they introduced us to Paul um, and Paul's the guy that was able to make it today to talk about free grace versus what we would call lordship theology so without any f well go ahead Theodore and I will commend Paul for coming on especially by himself when uh like in it up until like five minutes before now we were planning on two other guys <laughs> that are also like free grace position uh but one uh uh had some family duties and the other one is currently at work or something like that so yeah so thanks paul and it'd be super helpful so we're going to give some contrast to our different views here and um, paul's the opinion that we're we're all brothers in christ um I think there are kinds of positions here that could make us not brothers in Christ, but that's why I'm curious as to this discussion, because I think um, a large percentage of Americans especially have a free grace view. So I want to hear what you have to say, Paul, because maybe they are brothers in Christ and we just have a disagreement here, an in-house discussion. So um, how about you describe what you would define as free grace theology? Okay, that's a good question. Free grace theology, it's kind of like evangelical theology, right? If you had to describe what is evangelicalism, it's its a very uh, broad term that includes a lot of different views. Uh, if you're not within what is called evangelicalism, then you got serious problems. Because you are within evangelicalism doesn't mean you, you ain't got some, some screws loose, right? Sure. So it is with free grace. It's a pretty big term. Uh, we've got some guys that are called free grace who are teaching really good stuff. There are some guys in free grace that are teaching really bad stuff. I've come out uh, in the past couple of years after a couple of unfortunate situations uh, emerged uh, that have been helpful in describing uh, what I might call positive grace be focused free grace, <clears throat> which indicates that it's focused on the scripture. Uh, it's being contrasted to flexible free grace, which is more in trying to be flexible and growing movements and endorsing people that I don't necessarily think should be endorsed. If you'd like to talk to a flexible free gracer, I could get you in touch with some, but uh, I might be more representative of the focused free grace. Oh, yeah. View. Defend your own position. So how, how would you define then focused free grace, sure. your position? So um, the basic notion of uh, focused free grace is that uh, we are all born uh, separate from God. Uh, God, by his very nature, is holy, which means separate from that which is unholy. Uh, hopefully, we're, we're all in agreement there uh -huh. so far. Yes, we right? are. Mm -hmm. Common ground. Um, 
the separation between God and man will ultimately end in an eternal separation uh, at the great white throne judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, still unholy are cast into the lake of fire while the rest are transferred to the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, is that a fair representation of your view as well? Yep, we're mm -hmm. following along so far. Mm -hmm. as opposed to, okay. As opposed to uh, universalism, which says we're all going to the same place or right. so, something of that sort. Or like uh, uh, people who would say you don't need grace at all. But, uh, now, the nature of this separation between God and man is one where man is totally unable to make himself righteous. Uh, there's nothing that we can do to merit our own holiness, to make our, ourselves righteous enough warrant eternal presence with God. Those uh, two uh, branches of Christianity, which are often uh, cult, might be a good word for them. Our own works, we can save ourselves. Uh, so far, we're in agreement still, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. And so that you know, okay. we we regularly debate and argue and react to works-based salvation models, uh, whether they're Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic or anything under the sun, Mormons, you know, a lot of a lot of different models that we disagree with are works-based. They mix faith and works. So we're aligned there. Okay. Distinctive in uh, focus-free grace that likely sets it apart from Lordship Salvation is that we would say that the sole condition receiving eternal life for being justified, for being made righteous, for being made holy so that we can shift the eternal destination from the lake of fire to the new earth with God for eternity. Faith alone in Christ alone. And we define faith as faith. <laughs> Barely require works as part of our faith. But it is only by faith in Christ. It's not that we have to do a little bit of works in order to make our faith verifiable. That we don't have to continue in good works to maintain our salvation until we reach the great white throne judgment. We would say that uh, we would differ with Armenians, for example, who say that you can somehow sin enough to lose your salvation. And we would disagree with some forms of Calvinism, uh, which would say that if you do not persevere to the end of your life in good works, then you are never saved to begin with. Uh, it is a funky language because we have the word faith and we have the word belief and we have the word believe. Uh, in Greek, we don't really have a faith-belief distinction. Whenever I talk with English speakers and with people who have been greatly influenced by English speakers, uh, we often see this word faith being treated as a magical concept that has an idea of uh, believing something and either including works or including a superstition of some sort. None of that. By faith, we mean we simply believe in Jesus, his works, not our own works. Uh, uh, that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Um, as a heritage, we typically lean more premillennialist, um, but it's not necessary to be a premillennialist by any means to, to be saved. 
a few, if any, who have come to faith in Christ, became a Christian, knowing what kind of eschatology they believe in, right? right. However, having certain theological distinctives are helpful when reading the Bible. Every soteriological system has its difficult texts, and free grace does as well. So often by maintaining certain distinctions between uh, salvation and discipleship, between salvation from the great white throne judgment being cast in hell, uh, that judgment as opposed to the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, which is for rewarding believers, another helpful uh, distinction. So we're not doing works in our life to uh, maintain our salvation, to prove our salvation, or any of that. We do believe that we will be rewarded in eternity for our good works. But just because we're not doing the good works, receiving the rewards that we could in the future, doesn't mean that we were never born again. What, what are y'all th thoughts on that? Are there uh, any questions that I need to clarify? Uh, there definitely are. We have four big clarifying questions. Um, I could start with the one uh, that's tied to eternal life versus rewards. Well, how, how about you we give a quick pitch for Lordship Theology before we ask the questions? Sure. Mine? Yes, Go yes. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll make a brief and then Sebastian, Theodore, we can add if you think something's missing. Um, I'll piggyback on what you already said, Paul. A lot of the same distinctions as far as man is sinned. Um, there's no good, no one good, not even one. That's straight out of the Psalms. It's Romans. It's throughout the Bible. And we need a Savior. Um, and the only Savior could be the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was born sinless because he's God and he was born the virgin. So his father was God. And he did not sin throughout his life. And when he died, he gave up his life to be the sacrifice, uh, holy, perfect, unblemished lamb sacrifice for his people. And so anybody who is paid for by that sacrifice, um, when they are judged in the great white throne of judgment, instead of being judged for their own sin, all their sin is laid on Christ. As the scripture says, he became sin, he became a curse so that we might be the righteousness of God. And so instead of being sinful uh, before the Lord, we are instead judged as the righteousness of God. Christ works for our own, the great exchange, some would call it. And so the question, and I think the distinctive question for tonight is, who are those in Christ? Like what, what defines a man who is covered by the blood of Christ and what defines a man that's not? And we would say the Bible gives a couple ways to tell, right? If you are a believer, one would be belief. So we both definitely share that in common as a, as a requirement of becoming Christian is at some point you put your faith in Christ. Like you said, there's Greek determiners. Um, Sebastian's big into Greek, so I'd probably say pistuon or whatever it is for. Pistewate. Uh, yeah, pistis, yeah. Faith, trust, trust. Yeah, trust is another non-tainted English word as far as not having extra meanings behind it. Trust in Jesus Christ as your as your Lord, your Savior. And so uh, Lord, the distinction here between lordship theology, our theology, and, and free grace would be that we believe in the classic Calvinist stance, which is that those who truly believe in Christ are changed, have the Holy Spirit reside in them forever, and they will persevere to the end, meaning they won't, they won't abandon Christ to the end, they'll continue doing good works to the end. Um, we would clarify that we don't believe that you'll do maximum good works, and we definitely have a distinguished 
there's distinct we acknowledge the distinction that scripture makes between those who work a little and receive a little and those who work a lot and receive a lot so we also believe in in different tiers of rewards in heaven for those who do many good works and those who do basically none um, and that they're they're all qualified as people who enter the kingdom however we would say that for an outsider to judge somebody as as a christian or not they are looking towards fruit as Christ says in the Sermon of the Mount, the, the good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit and good trees don't bear bad fruit and bad trees don't bear good fruit. We'd be looking to somebody's fruit, fruit of the Spirit, to see if they have the Holy Spirit. And then likewise, if you go to First John, which is all about distinguishing believers from non-believers, we believe that John writes, you can know that you have eternal life, but it's, it's via fruit. So we believe that those who don't show any fruit are not Christians. And if they fail to produce fruit in the end, right, they, they fall off at some point in the later in their life, that they never really were of us, also quoting John, as far as those who left us never really were of us. And so we can dive into this text if you want, um, but uh, we've got some questions for you too. So that's that's generally Lordship Theology. Did you want to add anything, Sebastian? Y- yes, yes. Before you go, Theo, too, in case you have to say anything, I w- we do want to clarify, we do not believe that it is the works that are keeping you in the good graces with Jesus Christ. So just so that's clear, that's, you know, the Roman Catholic position, you need to be good or Eastern Orthodox too, to keep in the good graces of God. You may fall away. We don't believe that. We just say that the results of our faith and salvation through Jesus Christ alone produces a good good works in our life, just so that's clear. And we'd always preach to do good works, right? I, I think we've shared that probably, Paul, but we, we never preach don't do good works. We never say be lazy. We say do good works. Um, a lot of times Roman Catholics accuse Protestant positions at large at, as being antinomian, as saying we don't need to follow the law at all. And we would say um, we are called to follow the law. Of course, we all fail at following it perfectly, so we need Christ, but we are called to follow the law. For, for clarity, are you holding to the uh, equation works not as merit but as condition? I believe that was uh, John Wesley's phrases that he would use. I wouldn't. I don't think any of us would because it's not our faith isn't conditional or our salvation is not conditional on works, meaning that if we don't have works, um, God won't save us, whereas he would have had we had works. We don't, we don't agree with that because our works aren't, aren't at all involved in saving us. Works are just a means of verifying true faith. So they, they don't make faith true, but they do signify a true faith, if that makes sense. Do not believe that God won't save us if we don't have works. What would happen if we don't have works? I would say that we, we don't think that is a true faith. So if you don't have works, it's not a true faith. And you didn't really put your life in Christ. And that's why we'd call it lordship salvation, right? The only people with a true faith, like the real people who actually believe, the meaning of belief, the meaning of faith in Greek or whatever you want to call it, is making God lord over your life. And so if you haven't made God lord over your life, you haven't really put your faith in him and you would not be saved. I would potentially say that if we we Um, don't have true faith, then God won't save us. Yeah, we don't believe God ever saved you, yes. And would you say that if you don't have works, then you don't have true faith? Um, I would say... It's a general rule. So, yeah, you guys uh, can respond uh, at the basic uh, traditional position. 
And I might even go a little more liberal in saying that you don't even, like, not every person needs even one work um, to have, like, a true belief or true faith. Um, they just needed, <laughs> it's like, a, so Titus 2.14 says, God's purpose is to purify for his own possession a people zealous for good deeds. It's not that they have like a quota of deeds or they need to achieve a certain number of deeds, but that they are zealous for them. So however you take that. And then what do you guys say about that? I think that's your first question, isn't it, Theodore, as well? No, not no. That's not my first. <laughs> okay, well, it's becoming our first, I guess. How how would you respond that to that, Paul? Actually, like at the end of my notes. <laughs> okay, but uh, did I go for the first question? So we are. Unless you want to clarify something. It's a question for you, Paul. Uh, Theodore quoted Titus too. We are saved not just to uh, dilly-dally around and do nothing, right? God wants us to do good works. Uh, I don't think anyone in the history of ever has denied that. Uh, that uh, Rasputin <laughs> is the only person I've ever heard of that would say otherwise, that God wants us not to do good works, right? That, that's, that's nonsense. Go to Ephesians 2.10, too, right? Mm -hmm. This of our salvation is not just for salvation in and of itself. God wants us to do good works. I don't see why that's necessarily in conflict with saying that we only have to believe to be saved. Um, one of the ramifications of free grace theology that it's possible for someone to believe still fail. Uh, well, goodness, even in the, uh, the life of Christ, we saw that uh, many even among the rulers, believed in him. But because they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue, they, they did not even confess him. These are losers. <laughs> they fail. Uh, clearly says that they, they did believe. So uh, no choice to accept that they did indeed believe, even if they didn't have the, the, the simplest work confessing Christ. Uh, well, how about we skip to yeah, your we first... Don't have like a... Yeah, go ahead, Theodore. Take it away. First question? Mm -hmm. Okay. We don't necessarily, I guess, know if each of those people personally was saved or, like, at what point. The Bible says but... they believe they believed. Well, the, okay. the Bible also says um, so... the demons believe, right? So I don't think that we can blanketly say just because it uses the word that it uh, constitutes okay. salvation. Uh, sorry. So, I'm Related to the first question, though, <laughs> um, it's the idea of enduring belief so okay. um i was reading in hebrews 10 uh verses 36 to 39 it says for you need endurance so that when you have done the will of god you may receive what is promised um do you have any thoughts on that or what do you interpret as what is promised uh well what's the context What's the uh, what's the passage again? Uh, Hebrews ten, thirty six to thirty nine. 
And whom is Hebrews written to? Believers. Hebrews. <laughs> Church at large. Uh, Jewish believers, right? For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Right? What does it mean to do the will of God? The obey the law. Okay, so are you saying that, uh, to, to be clear, have you just said that believers are under the law now? Yeah, yeah, the law of Christ. Christ. You're not trying to put them under the mosaic. Uh, okay. I mean, I think the law of Christ, the law of Christ, is pretty similar to the Mosaic law, um, without the ceremonial portions of it. But yeah, it's not. It is not the, because because Christ fulfills the Mosaic law. Um, it is not the same for us practically. Okay. Um, understand what your uh, what your perspective on the the passage here is. What, okay. what are you, what are you trying yeah, I, to how do you understand the passage? We'll have some content to talk about here. Right. Okay. Uh, let me say my point, and then you can respond to how you interpret it. Because um, either either interpretation that you might go with, I I personally think it's tough for the free grace to argue about it. Um, so Hebrews ten thirty six thirty nine again. Um, for you need endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So if you say what is promised is eternal life, then it's a, basically you need endurance and perseverance to receive it, eternal life. Um, if you say rewards, which I, oh sorry, okay. If you say rewards, then go yeah, yeah. Then I would ask why Hebrews four uh, one to six say that the promise is entering his rest. Hebrews six eleven to 17 say the promise is continuance of life or election and hebrews 9 verse 15 uh, says that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance which um seems to be eternal life and which would be in agreement with luke 18 8 to, 18 to 30 which we could talk about later okay so, so okay. if so promise is kind of the, the key word for the Lordship salvation perspective here. You're saying right. that the promise is eternal life. That what we're dealing with? Right. That's what we would okay. say. So you're saying that uh, to have endurance now so that you will receive eternal life in the future. Eternal life, a thing that you have now, I guess, would be a question I'd want to ask you. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Okay, so if he is writing to believers who already have eternal life, and he is speaking about a promise, which is to come in the future, is he talking about Well, I think the insinuation then is that he's not talking about the eternal life of the spirit, but of the body as well. Because it's something we have not yet received, right? It's a promise of something in the future. So right now we have eternal life of the spirit, but we do not have of the body, like where our bodies will perish. 
So currently we have eternal life and our bodies, our physical bodies are going to perish. You're not saying that our physical bodies that we have now could continue into eternity if we persevere. No, but we will receive the inheritance to come, right? That's the promise is an inheritance of an eternal body. So the inheritance is this future glorified body. Okay, I'll agree that I'm going to get a glorified body. Are you saying then that as someone who has eternal life, a believer now, if you do not endure, that you will not receive your glorified body, what then would become of the spirit which has been reborn? Well, see, we would hold that any that has eternal life now will inherit the eternal body later. And any that has eternal life now will endure to the end. I mean, that's that's the Calvinist position, right? I'm trying to, 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 to piece this together. So we have a spirit that has eternal life. Well, and if I don't persevere, then my body will not be eternal. But since... I, I, I'm trying to understand what, what is what is at risk here if these people are believers. Well, the, you're you're assuming that everyone reading is a believer. I think the warning is those of you who aren't okay. right, you will not receive the promise. So the warning is it's written to the church at large, right? So churches of people which are mixed. Some of them are elect, some of them are not. Uh, so necessarily a book written to believers. You're saying that this is a book with an unbelieving portion of the audience then. Yeah, I mean, isn't every book written to believers that also right. addressing and unbelievers by nature of it being a book? I think one analogy would be like, basically any church nowadays is a mixture of believers, unbelievers, seekers, uh, critics, um, etc. So yeah, but obviously the pastor or the, or Paul is going to preach with believers in mind because uh, those are the people who are going to like actually listen, be fruitful. Those are the people that, yeah, that he's writing to. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, I gotta say, it's going to be difficult for me to accept that he is, in, he is putting works as a contingent for eternal life. He's solely on the word promise which is a future thing right. to accept when life words. as a present possession is seen elsewhere. It's not a very solid case. Not on this one. I think you're equating works with endurance, but I think we're saying that it's the endurance of faith. Like it's a, an enduring faith. Uh, so like <laughs> when God uh, saves someone, he also has the power to keep that someone and to help them persevere until the end so again the calvinist position on that yeah it's, it's like a qualifier for uh, the kind of faith that saves right the kind of faith that saves is an enduring faith um now when you say enduring faith and then you say that uh, to to persevere uh you must have good works if you have the true faith it it, it comes back to the equation earlier where earlier you said we're not saying God won't save us if we don't have works. You are saying, as would I, that if you don't have true faith, then God won't save you. 
The difference is that if I understand you're saying that if you have true faith and you will persevere to the end of your life in good works. So you have to have true good works to have true faith. So you have to have true faith to be saved. So I would say that God won't, uh, I would say that God won't save us if we don't have faith. What would you say if we don't have works? Well, I would say that you likely don't have true faith, right? Like on a practical level, the only way we're, okay. we are examining true faith is via good works. You said if we don't have works, God won't save us is is the, the 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 basic notion that i'm trying to test here but it's so that's that's assuming you, that that god is judging your works as a means to judging your faith but we don't believe that we believe that he judges his own work right his his faith that he put in you um, when he judges you in the end so it's it, god isn't judging you conditional to your works he's not judging your faith conditional to your works um but a a good true faith in Jesus has works, so it's it's not j God conditional. It's it's purely for us, right? The works are for um, our own knowledge. Will God save you if you don't have works? But it's but you're that that logical chain is assuming that He's judging your works, and we're saying He's actually judging the faith I, that He gave, right? So I actually So this? I wouldn't say that uh, faith. this question it's kind of a sticky one right i mean could we go to John say that 15? faith is meritorious say what faith is not i don't make myself righteous by faith but faith is indeed a condition and if you don't have faith god won't save you if you're putting works as a condition on the faith it would follow that if god won't save you if you don't have works and i i don't see why it is that we we we, we can't just Come out and say it. Yeah, but you're you're also. Oh, okay, I, I actually think I. Well, go ahead, Theodore. I'm hijacking again, so you have a second. Let me point? come out and say it with John 15. Is that okay, Michael? Sure. Move on. Okay. So in John 15, um, verses. Well, let's see. Verses one to six. Um, Father takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. He prunes every branch that bears fruit. Um. Uh, unless you remain in Christ, you cannot bear fruit. And the one who does remain in Christ does bear fruit. If anyone does not remain in Christ, he is thrown out like a branch, dries up, and such branches are gather gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned up. So we would say from that, that necessarily, branches that remain in Christ bear fruit. And those who do not be uh, bear fruit i.e. those who do not remain in Christ, are gathered together, thrown in the fire, and burned up. So I guess what would be the free grace response to that? Sure. So with this one, uh, this is where a little Greek comes in handy there, Sebastian. The Verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away Forgive me if the King James is uh, offensive. It's got a bit of a, a weird following sometimes, but uh, it's the uh, the free version because it's public domain. So, in case anyone was wondering, you see King James only. <laughs> to me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. What is this word taketh away? In the Greek, it is iro, 
which means take away, take up, pick up. It doesn't necessarily mean removal. So if we look at the the entry here of a wine dresser, of a vine dresser working with his vines and everything, and he's got this vine and it's kind of drooping over here and uh, not bearing much fruit, he's inclined to lift it up so that it can get nourished by the sun. That's what's being described here. So it's not necessarily that if you don't fruit, you're going to be taken away, but that you can be lifted up. What is this about burning branches? Is that necessarily the lake of fire? There's no mention of the lake of fire here. And if we look in the context, we wouldn't necessarily anticipate the lake of fire here. Um, this is the upper room discourse. Jesus talking to his closest disciples. I mean, uh, Judas has, has already left the building. Are you concerned that uh, Peter might lose his salvation? In, the, the, in your scheme, would he perhaps uh, not have works saved on the grounds that he didn't have the true faith? Oh, um, it is quite possible for a Christian in the course of the Christian life to face hardships and trials because of his failure. Uh, there's no real connection here necessarily to the lake of fire. Um, God wants us to persevere, of course. God wants us to have good works, of course. But here he isn't uh, putting works as a condition on eternal life, as the, the Lordship Salvation System does. Indeed, throughout the book of John, we see the word believe come up a hundred times. That's the purpose of the book of John. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you'll have thing. Uh, uh, not a, a great text for proving the Lordship salvation point, that if you don't have works, then God won't save you. So what, so I will say it's interesting to say that this discourse is only applying to the uh, 11 disciples, because that's, you know, odd that we wouldn't apply it to ourselves. But uh, uh, that point aside, the branches themselves. Application and the audience are different, but if you're concerned that the disciples might fail to have enough works to be saved, Well, rest assured we're that we're not, we're, we're not that. questioning whether the disciples are saved. We also don't believe that works save you, just to reiterate. Um, but the branches in... I didn't say that yet. You are, are, I don't have works, am I saved? It's a question that you can't give me a yes or a no to. I, I, I don't no, if, know... If, if you do not I have works, you don't have true faith. And if you don't have true faith, God did not save you. But well, it all reaches back you to if God. You don't have works. What? Works will God save you? This is the this is the the question. I can't get a yes or a no for. Well, it's, the uh, the real question is, did God save you if you have no works? Because we would say the saving happened before the foundation of time, right? He he chose his elect, and he saved his elect. Decided they were going to be saved. He applies the blood of Jesus Christ on them. So the question is, did he save those who? Did not have works and we would say no clearly he did not because he does he's not judging the works themselves on his elect right he's judging his own works but if you don't have works you're not one of his elect 
God can see your works before you can, before you do them, right? We're not open theists here. We we all agree that God sees uh, everything before it happens. Mm-hmm. So God can see your works before you're born. If you don't have works, will God save you? He's the one that gave you good works. So nobody has I good works until God gives them. With, with some more scripture. <laughs> Well, actually, can we hold on on this one for a second? I didn't ask where the works came from. Well, I'm curious to to the text at hand, just to stay on the text at hand. uh, The branches themselves are individuals, right? This branch, the good branch is pruned. The bad branches are lifted up. Um, Each branch is an individual. Am I right? Are we in agreement there? The I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me. That beareth not fruit, he te- he lifts up every branch that beareth fruit. He purges that it may bring forth more fruit. If the the purging is an individual, oh, you're probably speaking more to verse six. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. Right. Thrown into the pyre and burned up. Yeah. yeah, I might have gotten a a glitch there. Yes. So, yeah, that's what I'm alluding to, right? The branch is a person. Okay. A singular man. Let me ask you this then. Are you taking the perspective then? These are all branches in Christ, individuals in Christ. And if they do not abide, then they are being removed from in Christ. That's not the Calvinist position. That's an Arminian position. Yeah, not necess- if you're making this about... It's, it's not necessarily. What would be your position? We, we would say that, that Jews are born into Israel, which the Christ, the church, is the new Israel, right? They're born into Israel, but they never abide in Christ, never abide in Israel, and so they're cut off, right? So the Jew is born into the promise and is cut off, whereas the Gentile is born outside of the promise and is grafted in. That's pretty Pauline Hebraic language. I think I might disagree with a couple of uh, nuances there. I would still hold to a Israel church distinction. I, I think that God still has a uh, intention and a purpose for Israel, which he laid out in the uh, Hebrew scriptures and will fulfill in the future with the uh, Messianic kingdom for a thousand years. That can be a little bit of a tangent, though. It, it, it is a tangent. So, I mean, I, I get you. I know where you're going. So let's hold it for a different discussion. Um but that's that's at least you can see where I'm coming from here is that I would say those non-fruit-producing branches. It's not that they were elect and then became unelect, like Armenians would say. It's that, although Armenians would distinguish there too, but they never really were abiding in Christ. They just happened to be born in the vine, but they never abided in Him, so they're cut off. You're saying that this is the uh, who's being cut out of the promise. And replaced by the church is that is that kind of the uh, the notion here? Uh, you're, you're no, I w- I mean they're not replaced by the church. The church is grafted into Israel. Okay, I think I, I see what you're 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 going for here. Uh, well, really, really, the distinction I'm pointing out is not the whole church thing. I'm pointing out yeah. if each branch is an individual, Christ says that some individuals are pruned or. or um, purged, as King James would say, 
Um, so that's trying through fire. That's kind of what you're describing when you're talking about being lifted up, right? The bad parts of a person are being removed and, and corrected by the Holy Spirit. However, some whole branches are removed, like burned up. You know, they're gone from the vine, the whole branches. So wouldn't that be an entire individual removed as opposed to a portion of them or a portion of their bad works? If it is be difficult to see how that could imply a loss of eternal life thing is how that's not an option in this framework if we were talking with Armenians we'd have that discussed and wouldn't you agree so if you're if I'm trying to I'm trying to understand your, your perspective here so you're saying these are Jews being cut out mm-hmm. of the the vine out of the prompt and the vine is the promise Did I get that right it's Christ yeah uh-huh. Christ uh, so the Jews were born in Christ, and now they're being removed from being in Christ. Yep. Is there anything in in the biblical literature that would show that the Jews are inherently in Christ? The, the whole, At least prior to this. I, I think we're getting a little distracted, but the whole graft, getting grafted out conversation in Paul's letters, right, where he says, don't be priding yourselves over the original branches because you were had to be grafted in and like they were there originally and they're cut off right so um again it's directly i would say that in christ even in pauline language is speaking specifically about those who are believers being in adam to in christ that's the distinction there in christ means not in adam being pulled over to Christ. The verbiage of the vine is being used in different senses here and there. As we see a vine doesn't mean it's necessarily the same exact thing. So I would say that these are not, this is not depicting anyone being removed from positionally in Christ. Is positionally in Christ a term that you'd be comfortable with for saying that Jews were born positionally in Christ? I suppose so. A... Uh, okay. Yeah. I, but again, I think it's not, I don't think it's a stretch to say the burned up branches are, are, are not receiving, they're not abiding in Christ and only those who abide in Christ of eternal life, right? I mean, this is Jesus language. Um, abiding term uh men though i don't think is necessarily saying that this is something that must be done in order to have eternal life i would say that abiding is descriptive of the current experience we currently abide in christ and a result of that will be rewards or a lack of rewards if we if we fail to abide uh, we believe in christ to return receive eternal life not uh, not abide and so the depiction of the uh, wine dresser lifting some up and burning some others, that's not necessarily about the future eschatological lake of fire. Uh, fire doesn't always have to be about one thing either. I mean, surely that's so. a true statement, but in this scenario, the fire is burning up a whole branch. So I think it's a much stronger pitch than you're making it um, because there's pruning, which is for true believers, contrasted with the whole branch being burned up. So it, the the scenario you are looking for when you say a branch is lifted up and helped by God and pruned is, is already there and it's contrasted with those that are entirely burned up. So I think it is a pretty strong case for um, people who were in the, in the branch, whatever you call, you know, whatever state you want to say that, whether that's Jews or 
previous believers who are now being cut off, these people are entirely cut off and burned up. I, I, I do think it's directly rele- relevant. It's related to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about fish being gathered up, right? And the bad ones being tossed out or um, branches being burned up when he's talking to the Pharisees. And he's talking about axes being at the root of the trees and cutting down the trees and thrown into the fire, the bad ones. So like, it's all very hell related. I don't think it's unrelated. If you want to use a uh, parable to, to prove a point, tend to think is a good thing, a healthy thing to want to do, right? I mean, Jesus uses parables to teach, not to obscure uh, his uh, audience. Uh, there are some exceptions, right? With uh, Matthew 13, he had a mixed audience and wanted to um, reveal information to his disciples, which he explained. But we should take parables contextually. Uh, what what about the Gospel of John when he says things like three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, John five twenty four right. And you here here's my word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life and will not perish but has passed from death into life. Mm-hmm. What is it about that context leading up to this? that would make us think that now he's shifting gears. Now he's saying it's not enough to believe, you must also abide. What, why is Jesus changing here? I, I believe belief is it about and abide belief? are one and the same. Um, he's really just further describing what true belief is, and I don't think he's shifting gears. Um, but maybe we... Uh, I, so let me ask you this. Go ahead. Uh, will God save you if you don't abide? Uh, has God saved you if you are not abiding? No. Will God save you if you do not abide? Well, he chooses who he saved before the foundation the, of the world. Uh, this is the question that we're, uh, we're avoiding, right? Well, the reason I avoid the question is because it's a false equivalency. But I, I mean, mm-hmm. I can say no to your question. He will not save you. But that makes you go, see, you, you think works are contingent, that God is looking at your works. And I'm saying, no, he, he didn't. Like he saved us or chose not to save us before our works. Just like Romans 9 says, Esau he hated and Jacob he loved before they did any good works. So the works are really a question of, like, are you one of God's chosen, right? They're the, they're the result of his choosing. So I've managed to get you to change your, your we managed to get somewhere here. At the beginning of the conversation, you said, don't say, God won't save us if we don't have works. Now you are willing to say, won't save us if we don't have works. Is that fair have we at least established what we're talking about uh yes with all the definitions of what what that means right i'm not saying that god looks at your works and chooses whether or not he saves you based on works as long as you have that caveat those are the the mechanics behind it right no calvinist scheme is different from the mechanics with the the uh the catholic scheme one that I, I hope we would both reject is heretical, saying that yeah. you can mm-hmm. become infused with righteousness, or the Eastern Orthodox path of uh, theosis. I, I think we should agree that one's heretical. Uh, yes. <laughs> the mechanics are different, but you will say in the, the when it when it comes down to it, save us if we don't have works. Again, as long as we understand that doesn't mean the Roman Catholic or, or uh, Eastern Orthodox mechanics. Yes. Now I'm going to assume you've had good works. Obviously you have. You wouldn't be here if you if 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 you didn't have good works, right? 
um, through God's purging. Ministry, yeah. You want to start a podcast, uh-huh. you know, uh, not, not to, to boost up pride or anything, but, but you're, you're doing good works. Know for certain that you will continue in good works until you die. Uh, based on the promises of first John and the fruits that he's already burned me, I have confidence that the Lord will continue to bear fruit in me. Yeah. Are you taking the perspective you cannot die in sin if you're saved? I, we, I, I am still in sin. Anybody who doesn't necessary. say they're still in sin makes God out to be a liar, as First John would say too. So I believe that my flesh still has sin and I will die with a sinful flesh. But the Spirit has been justified. Right. That would be a, a very free grace thing to say. Well, perhaps, uh, the perhaps uh, Lordship is that you can closer. Yeah. Is there a degree of good works that must be done in order, in order to merit your salvation, but in order to know that you're saved? Uh, I'd say there's no degree. Yeah, there's no, there's no outline decree, right? I mean, the there are fruits described, and so there are. You're, you're looking to, to compare yourself to the fruits described in scripture, right? But um, because it's not your meritorious salvation, yeah, there's no degree. So uh, I'll ask a two-part question because I really hope the, 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 the answer to the, the first part of the question is a yes. So uh, the first question is, are you saved? And the, the second question is, uh, why do you think so? So I would say, yes, mm-hmm. I am saved. And I believe so because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. His, his fruit because in me. Because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, like his fruit in me, right? His work in me. His work in you. And what is that work? Uh, repentance, the love, kindness, gentleness, enduring faith. So you're looking at... Now, the mechanics are a little bit different. You're, you're not saying that this is all you doing this. But whenever you ask, am I saved? You're looking to your works, right? You're saying, am I repenting? If so, it's the Holy Spirit doing it, right? I'm not saying you're, you're, you're taking pride in this necessarily. But in the end, to determine whether or not you're saved, you look to see if you're bearing these fruits of the Holy Spirit, if you're having the appropriate works. Is that a fair summation? Yeah, it's what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you take Jesus at his word when he says, he who believes in me has eternal life? Well, because the, the big word there is belief, right? What does believe mean? You could also say, like, why don't you believe that you need to eat, eat his body and drink his blood? Because he says that you need to do that in order to live. And we obviously know in the church that's a frequent thing. That's an every week thing. That's something you come back to at communion or Eucharist, Lord's Supper. Um, yeah. And then uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's, yeah. that's implying they do it often. They're proclaiming their faith. They're remaining in Christ. Okay, so 
uh, remaining, I understand. Remaining, abiding, those are, are synonymous. You, you just brought in the uh, uh, thinking of the, the, the Eucharist. Now that this is also something that must be done in order to abide. With, of course, the, the whole chain that if you don't abide and you didn't believe, and if you don't believe, you, you didn't truly believe, then you're not saved. So, so is it now so, that I have to take a cup and a bread to be saved? So that's what I'm saying. I, uh, we believe the free grace position is cherry-picking the lowest common denominator, which is belief. But we believe belief implies and encaps encapsulates so much more than a mere momentary profession. Right, and we're just saying that the ramifications of works are different. Ramifications for doing good works are rewards, and I understand we both agree that there will be rewards. Mm -hmm. And ramifications of not having works is not that we didn't have saving faith, simply that we don't receive the rewards. But how... How would you just, well, maybe these are questions you have on your list, Theodore, so I want to steal question three or four, because I know we got two more questions, but uh, I think- Oh, goodness. We, we keep getting off the track here. I'm, I'm sorry, That's Theodore. Okay. If we... <laughs> That's why we're bringing us back on track. We're, we're already coming up on our time, too. It's, it seems like one of the themes here is um, determining real faith. Like, what does belief mean, right? That, I think, is the, the key issue. Whenever it comes down to free grace versus lordship salvation, I think that the, the it boils down to what is true faith. If we have to have works to have true faith, have works to be saved. If we don't, then we don't. Uh, we'll both agree that it's true faith. I mean, none of us are saying it's the false faith. You can't, you can't believe in Muhammad for eternal life, right? So the question is, is true faith there is true faith works inclusive doesn't include works yeah i don't know i don't remember your, your next two questions theater do they hit on that subject it, uh, does true faith include works right is that the question faith include works no it doesn't okay can we go to jude then <laughs> go the do book it. of jude so I believe uh, the book of Jude tells us there are indeed unbelievers in the church alongside feasting with believers. Um, and as Paul says, they're eating and drinking judgment upon themselves uh, regarding the Lord's Supper. Um, and then we see that they, they seem to believe that they had the grace of God because it says that they turned the grace of God into licentiousness. Um, do all sorts of sin. Um, and then it also tells us that one symptom that we can know who these people are is that they are trees that don't bear fruit. Um, so I can read a few verses if you want, or we can. Could you give out. me the verse numbers too? Okay, so let's see. Jude uh, verse 4 is them okay. turning the grace of God into license for evil and denying um, Jesus. And then... So you're taking the view that this is unbelievers. Right? right. right. Who, okay. who were in the church, right? Right. Who are in the church, and we're so... speaking, uh, they've entered the congregation uh, 
physically. You're not right. saying that they were okay. Gotcha. All right. right. And so there are trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, reserved for the utter depths of eternal darkness. And okay. it also says these people are devoid of the spirit. So we would say they're not saved. Are you are you drawing um, a connection between the fruit imagery here and the vine earlier, or is it un unrelated? I mean, we would, but we can we can separate them. We can unrelate them so that we can just dwell on this. So, I mean, you see the insinuation here, Paul, is that there are those who profess Christ, they superficially believe, but are specifically called out here that they, they aren't believing, right? And they are they void of the Spirit. Okay. Well, um, what do you mean by saying that they profess Christ? Well, they're, they're in the church, they profess to be Christians, but they've turned his grace, I mean, they've heard about his grace, they, they've assented to it, but they turn his grace into licentiousness, a license for evil. Uh, how certain are you that they assented to it, to the, the gospel here? It uh, seems like they're well, taking fundamental doctrines and they're flipping them upside down and rejecting them. That doesn't sound like someone that's ever believed. But they believe in God's grace enough to know that he can sin and be forgiven. And the problem is they don't repent. They only sin with the expectation of being forgiven, i.e. they, in a way, test God. They put the Lord, their God, to the test. Um, but Seeing the part it, where they believed. Well, they've, they've, they've taken his grace as a license for evil, right? That, that is belief. You believe the Lord has given us grace, and you use it as a license for evil. Something that Paul also says elsewhere. Uh, I'm not seeing that one. <laughs> uh, well, how would uh, you interpret they have taken they, grace and turned it into a license for evil? How would you interpret that? Um, there's a lot of ways you can do that. Uh, clearly mean believing in Christ and saying, hey, now that I've already believed in Christ, I'm going to start sinning. It could simply be that they've heard this gospel and they've just corrupted it is something false. But it specifically says... Just because says, the word grace is there. Yeah, it specifically mm -hmm. says grace and license for evil. So what do you think he means by that? The, the word grace is there. That's correct. And license for evil. So what do you think? How do you think those are being related here? Because the text has some meaning, right? Some specific meaning. I don't see that just because they're perverting grace means that they've uh, they've accepted Christ. That's that's a bit of a stretch. Okay, so what do you I think? Would, it I means? would challenge the assumption that just because it has the word grace, that that means that somehow they've accepted uh, God Christ's offer of eternal life. Right. So again, what do you what positively do you think it means when it says they've taken grace and used it as a license for evil? How would you describe that? Ooh, it could go a couple of ways. I don't know the per, the specific example. I would say it would probably look like rejecting the gospel and trying to manipulate. Oh, you Christians say that uh, you're saved apart from works. 
guess what? I'm all about the party life. Uh, I want to bring this in with you, you know, and, and so on and so forth without any actual serious consideration of the, this whole business about, you know, I am a, a sinner separate from God. Christ has died on the cross for me. All of my sins have been put on Christ and salvation is readily available if I simply believe in Christ. That whole entire conversation is not necessarily being summed up just in this one word grace okay so you would say even though jude makes reference to these people entering the church with these beliefs you you think they are professed unbelievers that are i mean you necessarily to hold your position you believe they are professed unbelievers they are openly unbelievers and they're still trying to get christians to sin is that your position yeah, I think that they openly reject the gospel, and that doesn't mean that they don't call themselves Christians. Uh, let's pick on the Mormons a little bit, right? You walk up to any Mormon and say, are you a Christian? What's the answer going to be? Yes. It's going to be yeah, right? Yeah. But you look at their doctrine, it's like, that's not Christianity. These guys are not saved. Uh have to warn others about the... Uh, problems that come whenever you invite a uh, Mormon into your fellowship, right? Right. Uh, now, Mormon obviously has Mormonism was wrong. in the 1800s. So. Yeah. Now, Mormon has distinctive things wrong with them, right? Anti-Trinitarian, all the rest. Yeah. Um, this text, Jude doesn't talk about. In the 19th about... century, that's not stuff that's happening with Jude, but it, it could be a very similar thing, right? Uh, well, at least uh, the only thing he says about them is that they're that. turning grace into licentiousness. So um, that's all we know about these particular unbelievers. It doesn't mean that they accepted the gospel, uh, turned gospel in, or grace particularly into licentiousness. Not restricted to that meaning. And maybe I can ask a classic question. Is this your question for Theodore? And if it is, please stop me. But what would you say about Christ's <laughs> reference? I know you know this reference when he says, there will be those who call me Lord, Lord, but did all these things in your name. And Christ says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of inequity you, or sons of lawlessness, whatever your translation might say. Um, that one is also not necessarily a matter of someone that believed but didn't have uh, enough works. Therefore, he turns out he didn't actually believe uh, enough or truly. Uh that could easily be the the guy who trusts his own works entirely as meritorious for salvation. Uh, the Pentecostal who's performing bogus miracles and even convincing himself that they're real. Uh, if they haven't accepted Christ, if they're spending their whole entire lives trusting their own works, they've missed the point of the gospel. So, but Jesus' uh, refrain there is that not all who call Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So, I don't think, I mean, I don't think he's really pointing out the bad works here. I think he's pointing out that they are falsely calling him Lord. So, is there a category in your? It sounds like, yes, there is a category of Christian, you believe, who calls Jesus Lord, Lord, but they aren't they aren't really believing in him, right? Like the Mormons don't really believe in Christ because they have a different Christ. Um, the bulk of uh, Judaism is going to say that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God, the creator of the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, Adonai, Hashem, right? However, 
while saying these words, in reality, they're rejecting the one true God because they don't accept Jesus, God, the Messiah, the Savior. Mm -hmm. So is there any category of people who say Lord, Lord to Christ who are not saved? Um, so this would be depicting a uh, future judgment. So they'll be standing before him in the future day saying that. I mean, presumably they did works in his name. So um, they he, he was their professed Lord oh. prior to the judgment as well. They do works in his name. What does that mean to do it in his name? It means I do this. Part it, of yeah, you said which it yourself, is something right? that your typical Mormon goes around. Right? Yeah, well, you said it yourself. Like the Pentecostal goes around in the name of Jesus um, and says, "In the name of Jesus, may your leg be lengthened." And you know whether or not they're actually lengthening legs out there, uh, like they're doing it in the name of Jesus. Um, and maybe they're not—they're not real believers, right? So when they get to heaven, the Lord says, "I never knew you. Depart from me." Right. Uh, Mormons, everything they do is in the name of Jesus. Their Jesus happens to be a false one. Mm -hmm. uh, so this isn't necessarily a problem for uh, the free grace perspective either. Well, would you? So, so is there a category? You said yourself a Pentecostal. Pentecostals, unless they're oneness Pentecostals, they have a Trinitarian view of Jesus, and they're doing things in the name of the Trinitarian God, but. It sounds like we would agree that there are false professors in Pentecostalism or wherever else, right? But amongst Trinitarian Christians. Wherever else, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so is there a category of false professor? Or a amongst... category. Categorize people. Yeah. Those who have uh, believed and those who have not. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so exactly. Are there people who, who think they believe but don't really believe? Uh, well, there are people who, uh, I would put it a little differently. There are people who believe the wrong thing. They know what they believe. It's, it's their head. It's, they believe it. But if that thing that they believe is wrong, then it ain't going to work. <laughs> right. So if you, one way to pluck the buzzer. Uh -huh. So if you believe in the wrong Christ, like Mormons, it's not saving belief, of course, because it's the wrong Christ. The wrong Christ can't save you. And if you believe in that Jesus is Lord, but not your Lord, is, is that saving you? Well, what do you mean? Are you, are you saying Lord like uh, in the uh, deity sense? Yeah, like he's it, not only is he God, but he like he rules everything, right? So you, you acknowledge like a demon, right? To the demon verse, right? The demons say, Lord, Lord, they recognize, they believe um, that, that Christ is king but they hate him, right? Or they're afraid of him. They tremble at him. So they, they don't make him their Lord, but he, they acknowledge that he is Lord. They just don't want him to be, right? So who said that? You happen to know the verse off the top of your head? Uh, I don't. <laughs> it's a James 2 thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can James. go there if you would like. Sure. That's a very faith and worksy passage, chapter. This is, I think, probably the hardest text for the Lordship Salvation uh, perspective. And it's one of the stronger texts, I think, for the free grace perspective. It's a difficult text. I know it's a difficult text because if you pick up five different translations, you're going to have 
quotation marks in different spots. You're going to have textual variants. If you go to five different commentaries, you're going to get five different opinions. But I think there are some, uh, a few keys here that we can look at to show that there is indeed a very clear distinction between faith and works, which if the working true faith definition of lordship salvation is accurate, then we would not be able to separate the two. To the point of the demons, uh, let's see here. We'll go to James 2.18. James is saying, Yea, a man may say. Uh, now this is a, a Greek uh, diatribe thing. Argument works. Of course, in the uh, the original autographs, as you know, they didn't have quotation marks. Of course. They didn't mm -hmm. have punctuation. They didn't have spaces, right? Authors have to use certain literary devices to let people know that a quotation mark is coming up. And the way that it works is uh, uh, or would say something like, someone will say, and then he'll make a statement that he disagrees with. And then he follows it up with kind of a, an attack against the hypothetical objector, right? I'm following. Mm -hmm. Should we send that uh, grace may abound, may it never be so. Right? A Pauline example. Mm -hmm. um, here we see in verse 18, yea, a man may say, in quotation mark. Then we read on in verse 20, but wilt thou know the response right so james is setting up a hypothetical objector trying to argue against him does the objector object he says you have faith i have works show me your faith and i would hold to the uh majority text which says show me your faith by your works and i'll show you my faith by my works you believe there is one god you do well the demons also believe in shudder so it, it's actually the person arguing against James who says the demons believe, which is kind of interesting. So if we're, if we're trying to argue by saying even the demons believe, we're not arguing with James, we're arguing against James. Regardless, what did the demons believe? Uh, this is another one where the textual variants get kind of interesting. Uh, say that there is one God, other manuscripts that God is one, which would be a, a reference, I think, to the Shema. Either way, it's a very fundamental uh, doctrine of uh, monotheism that the demons believe. Did Jesus die on the cross for the salvation of demons? There's no indication that he did. The mankind that was laid on Christ at the cross, onic world. So, we can't really compare the gospel to what the demons believe. First, because the demons are not eligible for salvation. And second, because the content of faith that the demons have is not the content that's necessary for. Uh, would we all agree with that uh, rabbit trail that we just went down on? Um, I'll say it's it's kind of funny that you point out that it's in the that the opposition uh, voice is the one saying the demons believe because it's it's not a point that James is disputing. Jesus shows demons believing you know, demons say you are the christ and he has to silence them so i think it's not it's not a point of dispute that the demons believe that he is the christ 
Um, I totally agree that they're not eligible for salvation, right? So they, they, their belief could never be a saving belief because it's not for them, right? So like assenting that giraffes can be saved isn't, you know, doesn't save you. Um, however, uh, so that's not a very good appeal to, uh, to, uh, to go to the demons. There. But, but it is a good appeal in this way. The demons have a belief. And part of your fundamental truth here is that the word believe has a simple meaning and we should take it as a simple meaning. And here the demons believe in a non-saving way. And so clearly they don't, the, the word belief is used, same belief word. It's about Christ, um, but it, it is not a belief that ends up in salvation. It's, it's clearly not the same kind of belief. So all I'm arguing here is that the word belief, the believe is being used in context to Christ and it's not a saving faith. That there, there are categories of belief. What, it has I a wide semantic means, domain. It has a wide semantic domain. If I can be I think what scholarly. Makes not necessarily. Saving, saving faith is obedience. And I think the book of Romans lays that out really well. And we can go to that. But did you want to say something? Uh, I, I think you just hit on something. This would be a, a point of disagreement, right? Uh, the semantic range of belief. I would say that it's very narrow. Uh you're not taking the view that if the demons had good works, that they would be saved. The view that demons are uneligible for salvation, which we all are taking the same view there. So you can't say that there's a different kind of faith happening here, semantically. So, uh, there might the be a demons, different content of faith. You're right in saying that the demons believe, but don't have works. Um, and I it think Romans, still I think the book of Romans is again clear that because it uses the phrase like the obedience of faith. So it's not the obedience of works or by the law of works, but it's by the law of faith. And um, again, the phrase obedience of faith, we could delve into more uh, in Romans if we want to go there. Mm -hmm. And even just to stick, stick to James for now, because we're already here and we yeah. got to wrap this thing up pretty soon. <laughs> I really appreciate y'all's time, by the way. Yeah, likewise. Um, so we see then that there's that faith uh, is my, my perspective would be that faith is simply having a, a, a notion of some sort and accepting it as true. That's what it would mean to believe the notion, to say that that notion is true. Faith would be the abstract noun of that, describing faith as that transaction. You see here that demons are able to believe without necessarily having works. We see further in the case of Abraham. Can we say was not instead of works? I think that's more is, helpful. Is obedience a work? Not necessarily. Not if it's the obedience of faith. Uh, if it is, uh, well, what does it mean, to the, the obedience of faith, right? You'd have to get into Romans. <laughs> it goes back to our questions. We've already, we've already established that in the Lord's of Salvation view, if you do not have works, then you are not saved. I think it would behoove the Lord's of Salvationists to be comfortable with that terminology and to use it. I, I, uh, not doubting your integrity, but I think that we are sometimes little we, we sabotage ourselves by trying to avoid the the words that 
that really express ourselves. And if you sincerely, you know, if you're believing the things that you're saying, I've works and God won't save you. Yeah, but I mean, but what I we just categorically, yeah, like, but the, the reason we object so fiercely to that is because we categor categorically fight and deny, and we fight others who say that works are what save us, right? That works make a true faith. We don't agree with that, right? And that's why when we say God won't save you unless you have works, that everybody and their mom says you must mean that works are saving you, and we categorically categorically deny that works save you or that works make your faith true which is a catholic i need to add that's why we're so violent against it um paul's issue in romans is that jews pursued righteousness through the law the law of works whereas they should have pursued righteousness by faith so if you're going to say that pursuit of righteousness is not like a not sourced by faith. And I think that's in contradiction with Paul's theology. So the uh, Jews uh, in question here, uh, there are plenty of exceptions. I, I love my Jewish believing friends. They're, they're, they're wonderful. But the problem is that they did not believe in Christ. Um, that's a bit of a tangent, though. So here's another way to look at it. There's a difference between merit and condition, right? Uh, or believing in their own works as meritorious to make them righteous. That's not the Calvinist position. It is not my position. Faith makes you righteous. It's not by the merit of your faith that you are somehow good now because your faith has made you good. No. Faith is the sole condition. It is only Christ righteousness in me that is righteous. It's not my faith that has made me righteous. It's not my works righteous, right? The faith was just a condition. So while it's not my faith that saves me in that aspect, it's Christ and his works that saves me, I am still very comfortable saying that without faith, God will not save you including works as part of that. And even if you're not putting works as the meritorious part of your salvation, if even if the works is entirely Christ that makes you righteous, but you still have works as a condition for receiving that righteousness, it is proper to say, without those works, you will not be saved. Would you agree? Uh so you, oh, let me let me back up and make sure that we're both using the same terminology here because you said that you don't believe the, the faith is meritorious, but you think it is proper right. to say that without faith, you will not be saved. So how is that not a work for you? Uh, faith is not a work. It's a, uh, it's true. Oops. Alarm going off. Sorry about that. It's all good. Why is it not a Since work? Since we separate faith and works, right? And we put works in a different... For believers to do, they're rewarded what's for salvation. See, I, I would object to any, any condition to Christ's salvation, right? Because he saved us while we were yet still sinners. I don't believe we had faith 
before Christ chose us, elected us, saved us. And then as a result of his election, his salvation, his works, we have faith. And then as a result of our faith, we have works. And so our salvation is not actually conditional on faith or the works. Uh, the, the faith is conditional on the salvation, and the works are conditional on the faith. And that's, that's why I object to your, your rationale that works make faith, and so faith is conditional on works. I would say the opposite. Works are conditional on faith, and I would say the same for salvation. Salvation is not conditional on faith. Faith is conditional on salvation, right? They, they all necessarily follow each other, but it's in that order. It's in salvation to faith to works. Salvation, that's always a, a rich discussion. And I, I don't think that it's necessary to uh, reject the points of Calvinism in order to be free grace. It certainly isn't necessary to reject everything uh, in order to be saved, right? Ever. Yes, absolutely. We Wherever all have parent theology saved, somewhere, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, these, these are points that we're, we're not... Uh, uh, this beauty, right? Uh, and, and I think we would all recognize that we have uh, grown into what we are. Mm-hmm. But wherever we put a particular part of the transaction into the chain, right? Whether we, wherever we put it chronologically, whatever we connect to it, it comes down to if we do not have faith, we are not saved. In both What's different between and Lordship Salvation is that we can also say about Lordship Salvation that if you don't have works, then you are not saved. Yeah, I, 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 about I just the I think, Paul, your position is almost more dangerous on the thing you really don't like, and that is you really don't like conditions on salvation, but you are insisting on a condition on salvation being faith. And I would say that's not a condition either. And I think you kind of agree because you I, said you don't really, you know, it's Christ's works. It's not your faith that's saving you. I'm only uh, I'm opposed to conditions, plural, <laughs> okay. on uh, salvation. Only the condition of faith. We well, see. So. I, I would go straight to the uh, it's called the it. golden chain of redemption. It's in Romans eight, where where Paul lays out the the steps, the order salutis, right, the order of, of salvation. And so I would point there to say that the root of salvation is Christ's choosing, his election, right, his drawing, and that that produces faith, and faith produces works. And so. Um, any so-called faith that doesn't produce works, I mean, this is straight out of James 2, right? Any so-called faith that doesn't produce works is not, it's not saving faith, right? It's not the faith that God gave. It's your own false faith. Faith in a false Christ, you could say. I mean, whatever you want to call it, it's not real saving faith. And it's not that the faith uh, saves you, right? Faith it's false faith are not, uh, not terms that James uses. Yeah, well, even so just take, take Romans' golden chain of redemption, people. right? The faith, it comes after salvation and works come after faith. Uh, I would certainly agree that we can't have good works without faith that are of any benefit to anything. And I would say they necessarily follow, right? God's election necessarily follows with faith, and faith necessarily follows with works. Same with Ephesians, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, you quoted it yourself. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this faith is not from ourselves, it's God's gift, not from works that no one can boast. We have been called this way so that we might do good, good works that God has put before us, that he's prepared since the beginning of time, right? So like all these things are following. They are in an order because we don't want to, we don't want to reverse the order for all the reasons that we're concerned about today. Um, we don't want to say that works produce faith and faith produces salvation because that's, that's works-based salvation, right? Um, we would say the opposite, that, that salvation produces faith and per- faith produces works. 
And the problem we have, Lordship theologians, holders, have with free grace's position is that we believe it is evil to say that that you can have a true faith without works because that's that's not what's witnessed in scripture right no person in, with faith in scripture does not produce good works there are those who have less good works right and those who have greater and so we agree with with various rewards and there are those who enter heaven with 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 nothing right but they did have a, tr- a true saving faith and and the only way we can tell true saving faith from not is by fruit and scripture is robustly fruitful <laughs> with with categories about you got to produce fruit look at the fruit those with bad fruit aren't saved like there's a lot of that i think you'd agree um i don't think james would agree with you there get how james uses the life of abraham i mean james says the faith the, his faith was justified by his works um meaning proved out by his works right was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? So what does the word justified mean? It means uh, to declare righteous, right? Mm-hmm. You see in uh, Luke the occasion when uh, Christ Speaks to the uh, publicans and uh, the tax collectors and performs a miracle, and they justified God, recognized God as righteous. What's the ramification of that justification? Does that mean that God will not spend eternity in hell? He gets to go to heaven? He dies? No. <laughs> simply means that the audience recognized him as righteous. Okay? Yep. We're, we're speaking the same language. We use, this, we use the same um, yeah. logic to fight Roman Catholics who say that his that Abraham's faith and works that his works sorry that his works actually were the means of his justification to God. And we would just, we would we would agree with you. Right. I think where you're going with this is that his he was justified before men as a faithful man by his works. Oh, right. Very big difference. Mm-hmm. Well, two things happened then, right? Uh, bumping down to, to James 2.23, both, one, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's when he believed, back in Genesis 15, right? Yep. As a result, he was righteousness was imputed to him. That's why he is uh, going to be forever with God because of that. How did his life look after that? very good right you get the whole bit with uh hagar and ishmael abimelech it's a it's a bumpy road for abraham abraham that you would look at and say oh yeah this is uh this is uh this is a good guy in the story right but he believed and through faith alone he was made righteous and then something else happened right as you said, he was called the friend of God. Who called him that? It was other men who saw his work with being willing to offer Isaac on the altar. So then verse 24, you see then that how by works a man is justified and not by faith 
only. Now that word only is manan, which is an adverb describing justified. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness Bible here will say, and not by faith alone, trying to just deliberately poke in, in the eye the Protestant doctrine of salvation through faith alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the witness way would be to say that he had to have both faith and works in order to be justified before God. What Abraham is doing, he is clearly separating faith and works and saying, look, the ramifications of his faith alone, belief alone, simply believing what God said is that he was justified before God righteous. Righteousness was accredited to him. That was the ramification of that. The ramification of his works is detached from that. It's not that his works somehow proved able to go to heaven when he died, that without this bit with, uh, with uh, Isaac, that he would be cast into the lake of fire eventually. No, the ramification of his works was separate. It was that men saw him and said, that's a friend of God. Now, the praise of men does not get you saved. You don't get white thrown to be judged by your fellow man to decide if you had enough fruits in order to be saved. I hope we agree there. Yes, I would agree that men are not the judge at the final judgment. The final judgment. Wouldn't it follow then that men are not the real authority here and now either? Wouldn't it follow that the justification before God is what counts, not the justification before men? Abraham is putting works in the category of justification before men, which we agree is not salvific. Right. Abraham is putting faith and faith alone, justification before God, which is that final determining factor uh, that saves us from the lake of fire. But see, I, this is the point that James is getting to. I think you've shifted your problem. They're already saying I think you've shifted mm -hmm. your problem, though, because you've shifted it from Abraham's works saving him, which we both agree they didn't, to Abraham's faith saving him. And I think in a roundabout way, we can say his works saved him, as James does. Um, we can, In a roundabout way, we can say that his faith saved him. He doesn't say that. Oh, he's justified James by, James justified by his that. works. But his works... You uh, said it yourself, justified before men. Men called him righteous because of his works. And you've said yourself, it's not because of men's judgment of us that we don't go to hell. You said no, it yourself. That's a, separate. That's a the church thing. That's is, not the church is advised to have nothing to do with someone who acts like an unbeliever would, and they are supposed to be accursed and out of the church, out of separated from the bride of Christ. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to uh, go to hell forever, simply because other Christians have cut them off of that is you're no longer in fellowship with the local church. That's different from saying that the ramification is that you'll go to Lake of Fire forever. There's also stuff like uh, Jesus says, those who do not gather with me scatters. And then again, it's the like communion thing. If you do not often continue, abide, um, and you're... And God will not save you, is up. what you're saying, right? Yeah, well, find, okay. find me the example. Yeah, there's of somebody... no mention of the 100 uses of uh, belief in the Gospel of John, the only book in the entire Bible that's specifically stated to be written to unbelievers with the purpose of bringing them to Christ for eternal life. Yeah. Uh, the word do, repentance doesn't occur in John. Don't you find it odd 
that in over the hundred uses of belief in John or throughout the gospels or in the epistles that we never see an example of somebody who doesn't endure to the end and is still saved? Yes, we do. Who? Uh, in the gospel of John and he believed in him, but synagogue they did not even confess i mean you make a great assumption there that they actually were saved uh i'm i'm going to take the bible at its word when it said that they believed we'll agree that they believed to take the bible at its word when it says that you only have to believe to be saved that's certainly the indication throughout the gospel of john about john 4 13 to 14 um when Jesus is at the well, and he said to the woman, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are uh, actually a couple of free grace approaches to this. Uh trying to say about the text i find it interesting that we keep going to parables we keep going to uh object lessons but we don't want to go to john three sixteen. we don't want to go to john five twenty four. Well, that's i think that's we interesting want to take the what are you trying to say here in a in in its total i mean we can go to john three sixteen. it just has started okay john let me just go to one it, verse right? and say yeah. why haven't we gone to this verse which is first timothy two fifteen. Uh, you will be saved if you continue in faith, love, and holiness. We could cherry-pick that and say, what do you have to say about that? Just as you cherry-picked John 3.16. The fact is we got to take everything as a whole, and certainly we don't want to revert to merely belief, which is just the common denominator, which often is tied to and implies more things. I'll comment quickly on the the word save, but I gotta I gotta get out here. We've already gone yeah. over the we're one thirty, so we can <laughs> the, wrap the, it up the standard time. If you gotta cut this thing down, I I understand. I really appreciate the time here. Yeah, likewise. Um. Yeah, thank you. I'll I'll, I'll comment quickly on on save, and then I'll let y'all have the, the the last word. This has been great. Like I say, I appreciate you having me out here. Um. Word save doesn't is mean save from hell. In fact, I would say it doesn't usually mean save from hell. In fact, in the uh, entire Hebrew scriptures, I would say it never means save from hell. Uh, save means to rescue, and it can be from a number of things. Uh, the word sozo is applied to uh, saving from a physical infirmity. Whenever someone is healed, the person is saved. When Peter is sinking in the water, he's about to drown to death, and he says, Lord, save me. He's talking about physical salvation. So whenever we see the word save, we should always ask who saved whom, what, when, and how. And if we ask those simple questions, we'll, we'll find that uh, there are occasions when the immediate context says, yeah, he's talking about salvation from hell, uh, but not every time. The semantics of keywords like believe and save, I think, are a... Uh, a cornerstone of free grace theology. Distinguish the eyes that a verb can have a fixed meaning, still having multiple applications of objects that it can relate to. For example, save from hell. 
save from a boat crash in the book of Acts, right? Uh, falsehood, believe in Christ, believe the Shema, right? Uh, don't want to say that that's just a wide semantic range. No, the word believe means believe. The word save means save, rescue. Uh, so that's a pretty easy exercise that we can do, and I'd encourage you to do whenever you come across the word save. Say, who is saving whom from what? Uh, don't just assume it's going to be salvation from hell, unless you have a good textual reason to believe that, in which case, by all means, take it. Okay, that's all I've got to say. Uh, thanks again for the time. Uh, I'll let y'all have the last word. All right. Thanks, Paul. And we'll wrap up right okay. here. This has been The Found Cause. That's why we found our cause and serving the Lord Wait, Jesus Christ. I want to throw in one more verse from John. Right? No, never mind. Sorry. No, you can finish it. We'll roll it in the end. I won't do that. No. We can talk about it next episode, too. I've been Michael Mann behind the machine. Okay. To my right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Across the airwaves, our co-host has been... Theodore, under the PC. And our special guest today has been... Oh. <laughs> Paul, we can even a better epithet for you. All right. You can watch The Found Cause on Spotify, Podbean, uh, YouTube, and Facebook. If you want to see our beautiful faces, uh, we encourage you to comment. If you have any agreements or disagreements, blast us in the comments. Blast Paul. I'm sure you can take it. Um, but until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.